It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, April 24th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. First up, the California Report gives us a sneak preview of the new California Air Resources Board Laboratory. Dubbed the NASA of smog research, the lab is part of the state's arsenal leading the charge against air pollution. Then, National Native News reports the possible remains of 40 unmarked graves have been found northwest of Vancouver at the site of a former residential school. And Sid Brown from the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation pays us a visit for our first spring a walk in the park. She's got the details on where and when to best enjoy the wildflower superbloom. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A study out this week sheds new light on statewide operations of the ride-hailing companies Uber and Lyft. As KQED's Dan Brecky reports, the study shows significant holes in the data the companies provide to regulators. The analysis of data from Uber and Lyft by the San Francisco County Transportation Authority shows the city is the epicenter of California ride-hail activity with 500 times more rides per square mile than the rest of the state. The study raises questions about the impact of ride-hail companies, such as how much pollution they cause. The report says the answers are elusive because companies often fail to heed data reporting rules and because the California Public Utilities Commission hasn't adequately enforced those rules. The report will be formally presented to the San Francisco County Transportation Authority Board tomorrow. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. Let's turn to California's decades-long fight against air pollution and more recently climate change and to a place that's going to be crucial to that fight, the California Air Resources Board, or CARB, which regulates car and truck pollution in the state, will soon fully open its new laboratory and emissions testing center in the Southern California city of Riverside. As work begins at the facility, the California report got a sneak preview of what's inside. Here's our story. All right, here we go. The first thing that hits you when you step inside CARB's new air pollution lab is just how big it is. This has the kind of feel of a, I mean, it's enormous, like an aircraft hangar kind of feel when you walk in for the first time. Yes. The size of six football fields, the lab, which won't fully open until this summer, will be kind of like the NASA of smog research. It's where the state will study air pollution and test vehicles in all shapes and sizes to make sure they're clean enough to operate on California's roads. CARB spokesperson Linda Lambert is my escort. So you are in our light duty wing. That's what the LD is. We have seven test cells, so you're seeing a few of them. In those test cells, each the size of a spacious garage, vehicles are hooked up to sensors and are then driven on the automotive equivalent of a treadmill. John Swanton, an air pollution test specialist, speaks to me over the noise of one test in progress for a Nissan Versa. He's going through a simulated road course, so it's a series of accelerations, decelerations, uh, pauses and idling. And what's happening is emissions are being measured the whole time And then we're going to get a grams per mile reading of smog corning emissions. Beyond cars, this lab will also test a range of other kinds of pollution spewing machines. From gas-powered lawnmowers, to big commercial trucks, 
which CARB says now make up the single biggest source of smog-forming emissions in the state. That means heavy-duty vehicle emissions testing will be a priority of this lab. Experts have long worried about the health threat commercial vehicles in particular pose to poor Black and Latino Californians living near industrial areas and freeways. Annette Bear is the Deputy Executive Officer of CARB. We've realized that these communities suffer more pollution than their neighbors. And so I think this place is going to focus a lot more on that, this new place, a lot more on that heavy-duty element than we could before. Along with making sure vehicles meet the state's clean air standards, which are tougher than federal standards, carb emission testers are also always on the lookout for possible cheating by vehicle manufacturers. This agency, after all, helped uncover one of the auto industry's biggest environmental scandals. Today, Volkswagen admitted that it rigged 11 million cars to defraud pollution tests. The U.S. Justice Department is looking into criminal charges. In 2014 and 15, technicians at CARB's old lab just east of Los Angeles, along with researchers in West Virginia and at the U.S. EPA, discovered Volkswagen and other automakers like Mercedes had installed software in their diesel vehicles to deliberately evade accurate emissions testing. The software made it look like cars were polluting way less than they actually were. Dubbed Dieselgate, CARB testing helped catch Volkswagen red-handed, says Bear. VW admitted finally to us after going back and forth with us that they actually did put in some programming that cheated the emission control systems. But once it was discovered, we immediately said, you can't sell these cars. But CARB's giant new lab partly exists because of the cheating scandal. As part of a wider settlement with the state of California, the state took more than $150 million of VW money to help build this facility, more than a third of its total cost. Looking ahead, this new lab has to be prepared for some of the biggest changes ever in automotive history, namely the growing popularity of electric vehicles and California's goal of eliminating the sale of all new gas-powered cars in the state by the year 2035. But what does an emissions lab test for if a car doesn't have emissions? Again, Annette Bear. So this facility is going to be able to test pure electric vehicles, mostly focused on battery durability, because it's not going to do any consume, you know, any good if you got an electric car, the battery only lasts three or four years. You know, you want it to last 10, 12, 15 years. We want to uh, test to make sure that they have a durable, useful life for the you know, the whole life of the electric vehicle. But Bear says that even with all the talk about electric cars, gas-powered vehicles will still be on California's roads for decades to come, meaning emissions testing and the war against smog will remain relevant. Weaning ourselves completely off of fossil fuels, Bear cautions, won't be quick and it won't be easy. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at Guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org.
And finally, is it ever too early to launch an election campaign? Maybe not to California Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis. This morning, Kunalakis, a Democrat, is launching her California gubernatorial campaign for the 2026 election, making her the first major figure to declare a candidacy. As Lieutenant Governor, Kunalakis has served as acting governor for short periods of time during Governor Gavin Newsom's absence from the state. And that is the California Report for Monday, April 24th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and let's talk tomorrow. The St. Augustine Residential School in Seashell, British Columbia, opened in 1904, finally closing in 1975. Initially Canada's governmental commission, tasked with compiling a complete history of the country's residential school system, acknowledged five student deaths at the site. But in 2021, in reference to the school, Chief Warren Paul said, quote, As far as deaths go, I know that's not even close to the approximate number. They just weren't recorded. Coming up, National Native News investigates reports of dozens of recently discovered unmarked graves. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Another First Nation in Canada is grieving after unmarked graves were found near another former residential school. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, ground-penetrating radar has identified the possible remains of 40 unmarked graves. The former St. Augustine's Residential School operated between 1904 and 1975. Children from more than 50 First Nations attended the school northwest of Vancouver on what is called the Sunshine Coast. The Seashelt First Nation is the latest band to reveal the results of probes into children who had disappeared while attending residential schools. Lenora Joe is the chief of the First Nation. The GPR identifies 40 unmarked children's graves, shallow graves, only large enough for the young bodies to lay in the fetal position. The research also involved interviews with residential school survivors and records of documented historical events. Some researchers say they believe there are many more unmarked graves at the site although much of the area has been disturbed and developed since it lies in the middle of the municipality of Seashelt. Joe says the community is in mourning as members and survivors process news of the discovery. She has asked for privacy for the First Nation to give people time to heal. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission said parents took their children out of St. Augustine's in 1923, protesting against poor education, harsh discipline, and a poor diet. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. Interior Secretary Deb Holland is releasing more federal money for conservation and wildlife projects, including those helping tribes. Chuck Kornbach of Public Station WUWM reports Holland spoke to a journalist conference Friday in Idaho. Interior Secretary Holland marked Earth Day by telling the Society of Environmental Journalists that she's setting aside $140 million in federal funds for water conservation and efficiency projects. Funding for 84 projects spanning 15 western states will go to irrigation and water districts, states, tribes, and other entities. These projects are expected to conserve over 230,000 acre-feet of water when completed. That's enough to cover 230,000 football fields in a foot of water. Holland also announced $35 million for 39 new fish passage projects on rivers and streams in 22 states. The Interior Secretary says those efforts should help the migration of fish, including salmon. 
Under questioning from a reporter, Holland also recommitted to the concept of stewardship agreements with tribes for management of public lands. She says ancestral homelands must be protected, regardless of which federal agency essentially owns the land. It still is regarded as an ancestral homeland and as a sacred place for Native Americans. So we recognize that, and that's why we feel very strongly about these co-stewardship agreements. Holland says tribes in Idaho, Virginia, and Utah are already providing indigenous knowledge to help manage public lands and waters. Holland and leaders of the Fish and Wildlife Service and Bureau of Land Management also told reporters that several contentious water and wildlife topics are still being studied and discussed. Some announcements may come from the Biden administration before the 2024 election. For National Native News, I'm Chuck Quirmbach. The U.S. Senate Committee on Indian Affairs will hold a virtual listening session to discuss updating the Indian Arts and Crafts Act. Senators will examine amending the act to support creative economies and strengthen enforcement and protections against counterfeit Native art. The session is scheduled for Wednesday. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support from the Self-Governance Communication and Education Tribal Consortium, presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort starting June 26th. Registration closes June 23rd at tribalselfgov.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. The California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, also known as CAL FIRE, has announced that its Forest Health Program awarded 27 grants for fuels reduction and prescribed fire treatment projects. Several projects focus on work within landscapes severely burned in recent wildfires, including the 2022 Mosquito Fire, which tore through over 76,000 acres in El Dorado and Placer counties. John Melvin, Assistant Deputy Director of Resource Protection and Improvement for CAL FIRE, says, quote, Fuels reduction, reintroduction of beneficial fire, treatment of degraded lands, and conservation of threatened forests are all vital to conserving and improving California's forest health and resilience. Now let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. Temperatures may be climbing, and spring might be in full bloom, finally, but that doesn't mean it's time to dip your toes in the river just yet. According to Ubinet, water flows on the South Yuba are approaching 3,000 cubic feet per second. That's well over a million gallons per minute, which is enough to fill two Olympic-sized swimming pools in under a minute. Now on to your forecast. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 47 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 77. Tuesday night will be clear with a low around 53 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 29 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 60. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 33 degrees. 
and in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 53 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 84 and gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Tuesday night will be clear with a low around 55 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Up ahead, retired California State Parks geologist Sid Brown returns with an update on western Nevada County's three state parks. A walk in the park has been on hiatus since January, but returns just as the weather beckons us to enjoy the outdoors. Well, it's been a while since I've been talking to you about the status of the trails in these three parks. Now we are deep into spring, and boy is it beautiful in Nevada County this time of year. In particular, the wildflowers are in full beauty down at Buttermilk Bend. There are people there every day. So if you want to have your own special time with the wildflowers, I recommend you go early in the morning during the week. But the trails are available. There's, you know, single track trails and there's lots of families, people even with some strollers for part of the trail. But the wildflowers are abundant and varied, and I'm very thankful we have wonderful docents that have established and put up fresh signage and photographs of the flowers. So it's really fun, whether you're with a docent or not, you can get real understanding and appreciation for the wildflowers along the trail. And of course, picking of the flowers, they are, like all features within the state parks, protected. So let's enjoy them where they are. At Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park, the other side of the Yuba River from Nevada City and best accessed from Highway 49 and then Tyler Foot Road, coming up we have Humbug Day in June. It'll be the second Saturday of June. That's June 10th. And that's always a really fun event. It's a park event, but Sierra Gold Parks Foundation helps to support that event, hopefully with food, music, and lots of volunteers. It's a really fun day to bring your family out to Malakoff. Oh, and for information at Malakoff, I always like to give the phone number, 530-265-2740. And at South Yuba River State Park, as I said, we are now offering wildflower docent-led walks on Saturdays and Sundays at 10. And you can phone 530-432-2546 to get further information. And at South Yuba, can't even mention the park without thinking and talking about the river. This is going to be a remarkable year for water recreation and hiking along the river. Unfortunately, we already have had a fatality at South Yuba River for 2023 due to cold water. So I strongly urge everyone to stay out of the water. This is going to be a water of very high flow and very hazardous conditions for much longer than normally. But the trails are great, and so there's the South Yuba Trail, Jones Bar Trail, 
and we are still working to get the Independence Trail back um, in operation. We still have damage, obviously, from the Jones Fire, and we are still seeking support to recreate and reconstruct some of the structures along the Independence Trail. At Empire Mine, we have some special events coming up Saturday, April 29th at 2 o'clock will be a Poetry in the Parks event. And Kirsten Casey, a former Poet Laureate of Nevada County, has been working with Sale High School students to write poetry inspired by what they see at Empire Mine. They take a, a tour and then they go back and then they write poetry. And on Saturday, April 29th at Empire Mine, some of the students will read their work the best work will be selected, and other poets will be also reading work that is pertinent to the area and to the inspiration gathered from that very special place. April 26th, next Wednesday, will be a special State of the Yuba event that is hosted by the South Yuba River Citizens League, and I think that would be a very interesting thing to know about. It's at the Peace Lutheran Church from 5.30 until 8.30. From 5.30 to 6.30 will be an open house, and then there will be a program that will go until approximately 8.30. There will be food and beverage available for purchase there at the State of the Yuba event. And at Empire Mine, we have an interpretive master plan survey, and we are seeking input from all of our community members about their experience, what they see, what they don't see, what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy at Empire Mine State Historic Park. This is a special kind of a once-in-a-lifetime event for Empire Mine where we are seeking information all year round from the public and there will be a document that will then be guiding all the work that is done for interpreting and informing the public about activities, both history, the culture, the natural history at Empire Mine. So there is a link on the website of Empire Mine, and you can get information about that at the park. There's also a little QR code if you go to the park. I think you can take your phone up to one of the information kiosks, even if the visitor center is closed. Hold your phone up to that, and it'll take you to a little visitor survey site. Well, that's a lot of information that I've crammed in here, but what I do want to emphasize is that we want people to come to the parks. We want people to be safe. We want people to leave no trace and to share the beauty and joy of these beautiful resources that we have here in Western Nevada County. And remember to always leave no trace. You can listen to the extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's our newscast for Monday, April 24th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Sierra Timberline since 1978, offering eco-friendly wood, gas and pellet stoves, fireplaces, interior furnishings, along with hot tubs and outdoor patio furniture. Open Monday through Saturday on Idaho, Maryland Road, Grass Valley. SierraTimberline.com and Milkman Toner Company, 
providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners. Carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.